Welcome to this edition of On Politics. I'm Dr. Eric Morrow at Tarleton State University, and we're glad you're joining us uh, for this week's show. I want to remind you that you can listen to us each week right here on KTRL 90.5 FM at noon on Sundays. You can also listen streaming live to tape, tarletonradio.com, and you can listen after the show on SoundCloud. That's On Politics with Eric Morrow. Uh, and where you wherever you get your podcast, you can download uh, each episode and you can go back and look at previous episodes of the show. So we're glad you're with us this week. Uh, we are looking at a couple of major issues and following up on a few things uh, from the previous week, talking about the power outages and the impact on the state and on policy and managing the supply of electricity. Uh, But we also had some other news this week that is of major concern, at least in terms of analysis and looking at uh, its impact and the motivations behind it. And that was uh, the lifting of the mask mandate by Governor Abbott for the state of Texas. So to discuss this and other issues, I want to welcome back to the show Casey Thompson and uh, Marcy Reynolds, who are faculty here at Tarleton State in the Department of Government, uh, Legal Studies and Philosophy, colleagues of mine. And they've been on the show in the past as a part of a roundtable that we do on occasion. Uh, We seem to try to wait and save up enough political issues here that we can uh, chew on them a little bit together. No, there's always plenty of issues, but it's always great to have them both on the show. So I want to welcome you today to uh, On Politics. Thank you. Thank you for having us. Very good. I'm glad to have you and glad to have this opportunity to discuss. And I think we're staying mostly in Texas today. And this first issue is what Governor Abbott did this last week that took a lot of people by surprise, especially people in state government, agencies, school districts. Uh, On the other hand, it's not necessarily a surprise. We've been talking about this over the past year in terms of his uh, uh, executive orders and how he's really approached uh, this this issue, uh, especially in relation to some of the political challenges that he's had as well. Before we get into discussing uh, the issue and some of the perspective that you may have on it, I've got a short clip here of Governor Abbott himself talking about some of the rationale uh, for his decision. Hospitalizations are the lowest that they have been in four months. The number of active COVID cases is the lowest since November and is less than half of what it was just a month ago. That means that far more Texans are recovering from COVID than contracting it. Also, today is the lowest positivity rate we've had in four months. We have been under 10% positivity rate for days now. Today, we're now under 9% positivity rate in the state of Texas. But make no... But make no mistake, and to be clear, COVID has not like suddenly disappeared. COVID still exists in Texas, in the United States, and across the globe. But it is clear from the recoveries, from the vaccinations, from the reduced hospitalizations, and from the safe practices that Texans are using that state mandates are no longer needed. So today, I'm issuing a new executive order that rescinds most of the earlier executive orders. Effective next Wednesday, 
all businesses of any type are allowed to open 100%. That includes any type of entity in Texas. Also, I am ending the statewide mask mandate. Now, despite these changes, remember this. Removing state mandates does not end personal responsibility or the importance of caring for your family members and caring for your friends and caring for others in your community. Personal vigilance to follow the safe standards is still needed to contain COVID. It's just that now state mandates are no longer needed. So those were the words of Governor Abbott uh, on the uh, lifting of the mask mandate and opening businesses to 100 percent. And of course, I have to let our listeners know that the applause there was not uh, fabricated. It was not that was part of the press conference uh, in which he released this information. Uh, But uh, I guess the question that that comes here, is this the right time? Is this is, is he trying to balance an approach here? He mentions the metrics that he's using, which are ones he's used all along in terms of hospitalizations, uh, the infection rate. Uh, so there, there seems to be some consistency in terms of the metrics he's looking at. Uh, vaccinations, you know, we're only at about, I think we're less than 10% uh, of the state that's been vaccinated. Uh, so there, there's still, you know, some some way a way to go there, ways to go. But I wanted to get your opinion uh, on where kind of where does this fall in terms of the timing and and what do you see are some of the motivations behind it? Uh, Casey, we'll start with you today. Well, I, I think the motivations, you, you can't ignore the political motivations. There, there, there are political motivations here. Uh, you know, Texas is, you know, meant to, we, we see ourselves as the independent state. And, and so Governor Abbott has been receiving a, a lot of pressure, I think, from his right, uh, from the more conservative side of the Republican Party, uh, you know, comparing us and saying, well, why aren't you more like uh, Florida's governor, Ron DeSantis, or Christy Nome out of South Dakota? You know, why, why haven't we opened up uh, more so like those? And so I, I do think the political motivation has to be looked at. With that said, I also think there's a legitimate argument uh, that we are, may it, while we may be on the front end of it, uh, said, you know, it's still a personal responsibility issue. It's still going to be down at the more local level instead of a statewide mandate. And the reality about Texas is, you know, look, it's 800 miles from El Paso to Texarkana. They're, they're different uh, different regions, and maybe it should be on a more regional basis instead of a statewide basis. And so, I think there's some legitimacy in the arguments uh, too of of pushing it down to a more local level uh, for the decision making uh, going forward. So that that personal and uh, responsibility that he focuses on, I mean, that fits so much into the political culture of the state that says, "Hey, you know, government should leave as much as." possible up to individuals making decisions on their own regarding their well-being. Uh, But one of the arguments with this has been it's a major public health crisis across not just Texas and the nation, but the world. Uh, And and so you see that he's at odds with public 
health officials that are still saying that they're that that okay he's talking about lifting the statewide mask mandate and and while we have to be clear you know I, I read the executive order and he's talking about uh leaving it up to certain you know entities and areas we're going back to kind of that management at the at the more local level uh Marcy on, on and then looking at it in that way you know in terms of a, of a public health crisis uh, how, how do you see this how do you see the the challenge here in terms of the this role that that government has and, and people understanding it that it that Maybe at times there there needs to be uh, government being a little more intrusive like this uh, for the safety and health of all, um, rather than just kind of, as we say, throwing it to the wind, you know, and just let, okay, hey, you you do what you think is best. Uh, Because I I think we can all say that we we don't always know what's best, uh, especially something as complex as this, a major medical issue like this. How how do you see his... um, uh, his decision here at this point. Right. Well, um, thank you for asking. It was interesting in the clip that you just played, um, Abbott's data is based on percentages. So percentages, yeah, you know, he does present his case using this empirical evidence and that's all good, but he doesn't say the real numbers where we've had about 200 Texans die daily in the past week because of COVID. Um, our hospitalization is going down, uh, but we still have you know, high numbers. Let's see. Recently, there's they reported over 5,000 Texans are still hospitalized because of COVID-19. So there are these real numbers that are at play. And I think putting it in percentages kind of downplays those real people that are being affected still by COVID-19. And I thought it was interesting, too, when he announced, made this announcement, I think it was last Wednesday, uh, Mississippi on the same day made a similar announcement. Then we had Alabama and Montana and Iowa also fall in line with similar announcements. But if you think about those states in their population versus the population in Texas, it's different. We are, you know, we have a lot of people here uh, spread out. Absolutely. We still have, you know, these high numbers. And I thought it was interesting, too, that Abbott did say that the county officials can decide to reinstate these kinds of of mandates if the numbers get too high regarding hospitalizations, but not the mayors. Uh, So I thought that was interesting, too. Right. Yeah. And and that's part of, uh, I think, the issue where we could move this over into I'm going to talk about it from a political perspective. Uh, We've got a state legislature in session right now trying to determine the state budget. Uh, On the political side of it, uh, all of a sudden now you've got counties, cities, school districts. uh, You've got these other levels of government that really it creates a challenge for them because they're no longer protected under a cover of the state saying, hey, we have a statewide mask mandate and it applies everywhere. Uh, it's uh, what they're saying now, like for a school district, it's up to that school district to decide. Uh, and, and it's kind of putting it in the hands of, 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 of people who may not be as f- fully tied into all of the information 
uh, that it's needed to make these kinds of public health decisions. And I think that's a that's a challenge a, a, as well. Um, but but we've also seen that in, in, in all of this through this process that Abbott's gotten a significant amount of criticism because of these executive orders, because of, of the especially the mass mandate. We saw things kind of really ramp up in the summer uh, after that happened. Uh, do, do either one of you see that that there's a the, the politics, you know, that that maybe that he's deciding on this uh, uh, on that basis. I mean, we'll we'll look at that first. I know again, I said economic uh, impact and, and other things as well, but but it seems like that the past year that he's had that there's there's some politics at play here, and and it, it's politics that are going to be very real and and visual at the local level uh, going into the the months ahead. Casey, what are your your Thoughts on that? Well, yeah, I do think there's a political connection, uh, without a doubt. I, I, I think you know there 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 may even be you know aspirations for something beyond Texas, uh, and so in in calculations of future political positions, uh, I, I think there could be some of it that it, that is. Uh, countering back to the thing about counties for a minute. Uh, you know, one of the other things that uh, he also said was, you know, counties can go ahead and re-implement these things if they want to, but there cannot be any jail time uh, and there and there can't be any penalties imposed for not wearing a mask. Mm-hmm. And so it, it's it's somewhat toothless uh, at that level. And so there's there's a problem with if you're going to try and push it down to a lower, more regionalized level, then they need to have the authority to be able to make those uh, decisions stick. And so this was a little bit of, of both sides. And I don't think we should lose fact of the day of the day that it was announced either. Uh, and, you know, Texas Independence Day uh, being a, a very good stage in which to set a political statement. Right. It, it provided the context, the atmosphere, the tied it to history, uh, 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 per se. But uh, speaking of that, you know, too, on the local level, some of the response has been for people who are in, you know, county uh, judges and and uh, other school school superintendents probably are going to be the same way of just saying, okay, fine, we're done with it, uh, and and deal with the consequences of that rather than have to go down this path of, okay, we're going to maintain it. Uh, for a period of time, no matter where they were on, because we've seen some of the even most stringent county officials that have that advocated uh, mask wearing uh, to immediately come out and just say, "Okay, no more. We're we're just done. Uh, we're done as of today." It, it, and, and you think about that: how are you, how are you going to enforce anything for a week with what limited uh, uh, ability they had to do that anyway? Um, I, I'm, I'm, I'm wondering if that that is the is the best way to do deal with this because uh, any of those that want to engage in in really in depth discussion about this and no matter what context city school district it's it's going to be challenging it's going to be very very challenging because of the response that people are are going to have of okay we're hey this is over we're done with it uh, when again we we still see a high number of deaths and. Uh, we still see people, you know, hospitalized. We don't know, you know, again, trending in positive directions, but for how long? The the other side of this, I think, is the economic side. Here we have the state legislature, legislature, I'm sorry, meeting, and they're trying to determine a budget where initially the forecast was very negative and dire. That's changed. Um, 
Marcy, do you see the timing of this in relation to that uh, having some impact on what uh, challenges that the governor and the legislature may have uh, in determining the resources that the state will have going forward and, and what, what, what they're maybe trying to either mitigate or uh, is this just a, a, a bonus as part of this that, hey, let's get this done so we can get back to growing the economy and, and, and producing more jobs and so forth? Well, I think definitely there's part of that. Um, but I agree the legislature is confronted with a $1 billion shortfall in revenue that they're going to have to try to figure out you know, what the, to do with that. And both chambers have passed a budget that is very similar, amazingly, uh, but it is about $7 billion over the revenue estimate that Glenn Hager, the comptroller, gave them. So there's going to be some movement there, of course. And I do think, you know, you need to take into account, we need to make up for that shortfall. And also, we need to return to our standing. So if you think about it, prior to COVID-19, the Texas economy was one of the strongest, if not the strongest in the country. And in fact, by some measures, our economy, our GDP per capita was stronger than Russia's. I mean, we are a business-friendly state. The economy is incredibly important to us. And in fact, just all of this reminds me of James Carville when he was advising Bill Clinton on running for president. He said, remember, it's the economy, stupid. And I just think there's a lot of that at play. And of course, COVID-19 hit us all. It was a sucker punch for all of us, you know, across the globe. But the weather event that we had a couple of weeks ago was mostly in Texas. And the ramifications of that weather event and how it affects private industry and their motivation to move into the state or stay in the state could be affected by this lack of winterization across our, our energy sector. So I do think that in a way this was political and that let's move over away from the weather event and move toward opening up our economy some more and focusing on that. Also, you know, the Texas Politics Project out of the University of Texas just released their February 2021 polls. And one of those polls, you know, asked Texans, okay, what would you rather see the government do? Move towards opening the economy or move towards protecting health? And the results, if you broke them down by party affiliation, over a majority of the Republicans said, let's open the economy. Over a majority of Democrats said, let's take care of health. So I do feel like he is kind of playing to the base and putting in line you know, some kind of strategy, perhaps, for the 2022 elections and maybe moving on to the national level. Well, we have to think he's emboldened by coming out of the, the general elections in November in which Republicans held the legislature uh, and, and, of course, their focus is on holding all the state top state offices uh, in the 2022 election. I, I was thinking about this in terms of, of, of the economy also, is that uh, it, it, there may be time here, and it'll be interesting to see in the weeks ahead, does the comptroller come out with a revised revenue estimate? I mean, if if I took my short uh, case study uh, when I drove past CVS uh, on the way to, to, to come here and, re and record, uh, that uh, the parking lot was completely full, that the economy will rebound in a, in a matter of weeks, 
uh, you know, again, that's not enough of a case study, but uh, all of a sudden here you have people who are just saying, okay, we're, we're done with this. And, and, and whether they need to spend or not, it's the, it's the, the human part of us, you know, saying, okay, now I can go out and do things that I couldn't do before. Knowing that we still have a lot of industries and areas that have been impacted by this, that it will take a while uh, to come back. But I'm kind of wondering if, 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 uh, Casey, in addition to the announcement of of this being on the on the day that it was on uh, uh, th- this past week, uh, if that we're also looking at, OK, there's sufficient time here for revised revenue estimates before the budget is is finalized, because we know that it's usually late May if, at the earliest. I mean, we've had special sessions before because the budget was not resolved, uh, but that here we've now got probably about. Uh, two full months uh, to change that revenue forecast, and and, and could it change uh, significantly? Um, do you, do you think that that could be a, a, a possibility? Uh, and how does that play into this? Because uh, it seems to me that that could be part of a political strategy, as Marcy said, leading into the election cycle. That that if it works, you know, if, if it impacts the economy, are people going to be looking at? infection rates? Are they going to be looking at hospitalizations? Are they going to be looking at deaths? Or is this going to be directed over to say, hey, look, we we saved the Texas economy and we're and we're back on track. I don't, that, those are some of the things that have been going through my mind this just the last few days. But in your thoughts on that, Casey? Uh, yeah, I mean, there's a possibility uh, that we can. It's, it, it is a short window in the scale of government. But the, if there is a, you know, that pent up demand uh, from consumers that want to get out and be active because it's been literally a year, almost a week now, uh, that we've been uh, under this. And so if you start seeing a ray of hope, if you start seeing that the numbers are going down, uh, if you can uh, kind of capitalize on that pent-up demand sometime in the next 60 days, that it modifies uh, the comptroller's results, then you have a better budget that impacts the next two years. Uh, and so it, it puts you in a better light and gives you a, a better uh, thing uh, to campaign from than, you know, really honestly just safety and health. Because if you think that's going down, then the next step is, if you're playing the chess game four moves ahead, is the next step is to try and get the economy back. Uh, and so that may be some of the, the calculus in trying to, to take care of this now prior to the end of the regular session on March, uh, May 31st. Well, it, it seems with that too, that that, that meets the, the, the dominant views of, of, of government and how this plays together of people of the state. I mean, it's one thing to celebrate a, a pandemic coming to an end, which we're, we're still not close to that yet. Uh, but, but even I think in Texas and, and, and I'm looking at, you know, some of the work that we've done collectively on uh, looking at the, the, the state and its history and in politics and governance that, that, that the answer, uh, kind of a standard answer would be, okay, yeah, we, we got to the end of the pandemic or we, we, uh, uh, we were able to, uh, kind of turn it and, and get back moving in the right direction in terms of public health. But what about the economy? You know, I mean, again, it would be Marcy, like what you brought up with uh, president Clinton and, and his campaign was that the people here are, that's their primary focus. Uh, it, it's, it's over and abundantly about 
economic uh, stability and and jobs and and so on. And again, I think you know that certainly that's important. But it, but for me, it raises another question about public health uh, and how we deal with this going forward because uh, we can probably pretty much guarantee it's going to happen again that we could face a threat like this or of this level uh, that could uh, happen again. And how are we going to deal with that? And, and, and of course, we know we're in a state where public health is not uh, front and center, uh, at least in terms of a statewide strategy uh, now to deal with issues like this. Um, I'm, I'm kind of wondering on that side of it. So, you know, we look at the, at the, the politics of it and so forth. Um, and we also see data out today that shows that African Americans and Hispanics are not getting vaccinated, and uh, at, at the rate that that others are getting, and they've suffered more uh, in terms of the impact of the pandemic uh, as well. Um, what what do where does this fit? I mean, do you see any place uh, for this in a strategy for the state, the governor, the legislature going forward? That uh, it's not just Marcy, when we're talking about quality of life, just the economy, stupid, you know, as, as, as the slogan said, uh, but that, that there's some there, there's something significant that's happened here. And, and we've got to look at a way to address it within kind of the culture and the and the way we govern ourselves and the history and this focus on the economy. I, I struggle to see a way forward with with that and how how we do that or if we just kind of wait. OK, well, when's the next crisis? How do we get through it? Uh, I don't know. I mean, it seems like that that there we need to have some. There needs to be some focus given to this as to how uh, we have we deal with this in the future. Mm-hmm. Well, I would agree with you. Um, we are a state that did not expand Medicaid under the Affordable Care Act, so I think that is indicative of our hesitation to expand you know, health care on a public basis. I guess you could say. Um, so yeah, I, I am, I'm interested to see how that will play out. Um, we have a legislature that's dominated by the Republican party. So I'm not real positive in a forecast about that changing right away. It might incrementally, but I don't even know then. I think the emphasis is going to be on getting people back to work because our unemployment rate is still um, 7.2% right now, which is double what it was before COVID-19 hit. And so I think that's going to be more of a, well, I don't, more of an emphasis perhaps, but, you know, the unequal distribution of healthcare, that is definitely an issue that needs to be looked at and addressed. I just don't know with all the other things that are going on, you know, how many laws we're going to see passed in that direction. Yeah, it's not top on the bills that are being uh, examined and uh, people are engaging with in terms of, of the state legislature, which will we'll get to that in, in a moment. I, it is a challenge. I mean, I think there's some things that have been learned go, from the beginning of this uh, in terms of how you address it on a smaller scale when something when a, this pandemic was getting started, that 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 perhaps some decisions in reversing that, you know, masks and protective type things early on that may have 
uh, thwarted having to do a massive shutdown. But some of this has to be given attention uh, in this state, and we've got to ho- hope that our policymakers and, and those that are engaged with these issues will will push for that, especially public health officials uh, in, in how the state can deal with this in the future. Um, I want, want to turn before we, we uh, uh, use up all our time today in the, in the show is that you mentioned in the middle of this, we had a uh, extreme weather event. We covered this uh, with uh, Dr. Eggleston last week uh, on the show and talking about some of the background to, to how this all happened. Um, but this has political implications as well. Uh, in, right here in the middle of a legislative session, right here in the ramp up to uh, the elections in 2022, as we know, the you know, primary season will kick off, uh, you know, in several months, you'll start having people announcing uh, and then there'll be campaigns starting up, certainly in the fall, uh, if not sooner, because we're talking about the governor. Uh, we're talking about uh, other statewide positions as well. Um, we talked about the logistics and the and the sustainability a little bit about policy and so forth last week. The politics of this, though, and that what our what our show really here focuses on, is quite significant because we've had some other events happen this week. You've had uh, uh, members of the Public uh, Utility Commission resign. Uh, you had the uh, the the uh, uh, executive director of ERCOT. Uh, lost his job. Uh, you had the overbilling, $16 billion in overbilling, which was seen as a, a huge mistake on the part of, of ERCOT. Um, uh, is this issue, do either of you see this issue as a, uh, uh, in terms of any political challenges here uh, uh, related either to the governor or the legislature? Um, or where, you know, where do you see this is go- this going in terms of that relationship that Texas has tried to maintain with private industry uh, for a, an essential service here, um, while letting those companies be successful and be certainly provide the resources to the people of the state, uh, but with a limited amount of really regulation. You know, uh, one of the things that came up in our conversation with Dr. Eggleston was how prepared these companies should have been for a weather event like this. Uh, but, you know, that involves costs, that involves uh, using uh, revenue otherwise to, to prepare for maybe one or occasional uh, events. Uh, what do you see, uh, Casey, politics of this? What do you see are some of the challenges either for the governor or uh, how we address this issue going forward? Well, just from the political slant first, I, you know, I think it's going to be there, but I also never want to lose sight of the fact that voters typically have a pretty short memory. Uh, and so if we're talking about an election that's two years away, I don't know how much it's going to be. With that said, there were a whole lot of people in the dark, in the cold for the first time learning what ERCOT meant. Uh, and so it was a thing that that came home to people quite literally. Uh, and that's going to make an impact. And the governor kind of stepped out and said, yeah, I take responsibility for, uh, you know, where we are here. And as you said, you know, the, the chairperson of, of PUCs resigned. ERCOT uh, was terminated. Seven members of the board uh, have all stepped down. So we're having a, a full-fledged kind of turnover uh, there in the in, at the agency level. I, I, I do think this is going to be one of those situations where the response is probably going to have more of uh, a political consequence than the event. 
because this was, you know, the last time it was this cold was four decades ago. We've never seen that much. It was truly the same kind of, uh, you know, catastrophe uh, that, that, you know, you could rank COVID as it's just happened in a week. I mean, it was a monumentally historic, we haven't seen anything like it kind of thing. And so people are pretty forgiving, I think, about, you know, a bad thing happened. It's like a hurricane. And, and so it's more about what's your response to it, perhaps in the event that would have the political consequences. Marcy, as we as we look at this uh, and the and these consequences of it, whether, you know, political, you're right, Casey. I mean, short memory. There's a lot of time between now and that 2022 20, uh, election. There's a lot of national uh, dynamics that are going on in the electorate that are uh, that are going to be directed at that point, not just what's what's happening uh, uh, in Texas. Uh, I think you had, you mentioned, you know, about this and, and balancing it. Um, or, or trying to, to, to kind of redirect away from this with this kind of announcement that we saw this past week about ending the mass mandate and, and, and those kinds of things. Politically, that, that seems like a, a, that's a, that's a, a President Donald Trump tactic. You know, if, if, the, if the news cycle's not going your way, then let's do something to change it, whether it's the right thing to do at the moment or not, you know? And, and, and so uh, I, I'm wondering about your perspective on the, on the politics of this and really the governor who, as we know, I mean, we, we would teach this in our classes until, you know, he, he appoints the members to the public utility commission, but other than that, he doesn't have any direct oversight uh, of this, a whole process with ERCOT. I mean, it's governed by laws that have been put in place and by the, the legislature has a primary role here, but, but he was getting a lot of attention because he is the spokesperson for the state. Uh, so on the one hand, this seems like a really smart political move on his part uh, to say, Hey, let's shift gears here and let's get this over into a, a realm where I can do something. Uh, uh, I don't know if you if, if you saw it that way or not. And then along with that, though, what could the governor do or be doing to address this issue with electrical reliability and 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 the the policies around that? All right. Okay. Thank you. Um, yes. Well, I do want to make a point that I think most elected officials would do the same thing. Not only Trump. <laughs> let's change the dialogue. Um, yes. So, and if that was his strategy, um, yeah, that's understandable actually, because he does have limited power, but he is the representative for our whole state, basically. You know, he is the person that represents our state to people outside of the state. And I just remember Rick Perry going up to Chicago when I lived there and representing the state and trying to draw businesses away from Illinois to move to Texas because we're such a business-friendly state. So I think that was important. And I think what he can do, one thing that he did do was he added, let's see, winterization of Texas power system and trying to get the funding for that to his list of emergency legislation he wanted this session to look at. And so um, that indeed there are some bills that have been filed that are requiring the Public Utility Commission to prepare for extreme weather. And another bill says something similar, except he adds that uh, penalty, penalties will be imposed of up to $25,000 if they don't. So it's putting the, the impetus of the funding on the private 
businesses, right? And then they will get uh, fined if they don't fall in line and the money will be used to uh, to fund the Public Utilities Commission. Also, there's another bill that was filed to say, okay, you have to plan for winterization, even if it's only one to 2% chance of having these low temperatures again. So I think you're just supporting that, making it a piece of emergency legislation. Governor Abbott has signaled this is something he would like to see addressed. So that, that is some kind of emphasis that he has there. Um, there's some legislation too that has uh, proposed combining both the Public Utilities Commission and the Texas Railroad Commission so that you're bringing oil and natural gas under one agency, because that was one of the complaints that came out in the hearings that were held last week in the Texas legislature, that there's a lack of communication going on between these entities that are in charge of our power structure. So, so this issue also uh, kind of brought out some of the things in social media uh, that uh, people back and forth on both sides of the issue that, you know, Texas is independent. Uh, we manage our energy that way. Uh, uh, Dr. Eggleston, we got into that last week with talking about the three power grids in the U.S. and there's the eastern seaboard, there's the western seaboard, and then there's Texas. <laughs> and in explaining really the dynamics behind how did this happen, that we were not able to pull power from other places when we started having systems go down because of the uh, the extreme weather. So secession is actually something that is in the minds of some legislators. Uh, we see this issue not going away. It's not the focus that I want to have as we uh, uh, move to break and then go to the last episode. But when we come back from a quick commercial break, this is on the docket of the Texas legislature. It's one of the most widely viewed bills, along with a few others. And I, I want to talk about that in terms of what that tells us about where people are in the in public opinion in looking at what's important, what issues are important, and what the legislature is doing. So we're going to take a quick commercial break, and then we'll be back for more on politics. Politics can be confusing, but On Politics with Eric Morrow has your back. Follow the show on Facebook. Search On Politics with Eric Morrow to stay up to date with the show and all the sources to follow right along. for Texas is a Texas-based history podcast from historian Dr. T. Lindsey Baker. Find a new episode every Thursday morning wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to On Politics. I'm Dr. Eric Morrow and I have with me today Casey Thompson and Marcy Reynolds, two of our faculty at Tarleton State uh, that teach uh, political science and legal studies. And of course, we get together on the show here oh, about every four to six weeks for a roundtable uh, to look at issues that are going on in politics and policy. And of course, today it's been all Texas. Uh, we started uh, with looking at the governor that ended the mass mandate in the state. We have looked at a little more on the politics of the power outage uh, and the impact that it's had. And in this last segment of the show, we are in the middle of a legislative session. Uh, and as we all know, and just to sh share with our radio audience, uh, this is about the time that things actually get started moving a little bit. It takes a while for the legislature to get up and running, to get committee appointments done. 
uh, for bills have already been filed since after the election. Those are now going to the committees. Committees are starting to review. And of course, in the middle of it is, is the budget. But I thought it would be uh, good to take an, a look, an interesting look here at some of the most active bills uh, that are in the uh, Texas legislature and some of the most uh, viewed and monitored bills uh, just to, to help us understand a little bit about what that means about people in Texas, what their where their interests are, where their opinions are. Of course, some would think that electricity and the pandemic and those issues that we've already been talking about today would be the top concerns in terms of legislation. Now, we know in polling that some of these are concerns of people in terms of issues. But when you look at what's going on in the legislature, um, you know, I'm looking here at the, the most viewed bills and most monitored bills in Texas right now. And the and one of the top ones is related to the use of deadly force in defense of a person or property. And then the second one, which I had alluded to before the commercial break, relating to a referendum to the people of the state of Texas on the question of whether this state should leave the United States of America and establish an independent republic. The third one, relating to the enforcement of certain federal laws regulating firearms. Now, here we finally get to the pandemic, but it's more related to state and local government responses uh, to the pandemic. Uh, so I'm, I'm looking at some of these top bill, uh, bills on here that are being looked at. Of course, we've got voter registration in here, uh, looking at, at voting and voting security and uh, the, the role of the secretary of state. Marijuana is in this uh, about the the recreational use, manufacturing, distribution, uh, and uh, sale of marijuana. Um, again, a third one here. I see a theme relating to the provisions governing the carrying of a firearm by a person who is not otherwise prohibited by state or federal law. Uh, so, um, um, these are some of the top things that are that are being watched in the state legislature at the moment, and. I just open it up here to get your perspective. You know what? As I read these and as we engage with these these particular bills, what does that present to you? Some things that are kind of always on our mind in Texas, always a part of the discussion, or uh, what are the dynamics there that are causing some of these things to be uh, front and center? Casey, you have some thoughts on this? Uh, yeah, castle doctrine in Texas is, and nationally, is always a, a controversial topic. Uh, it, anytime you, you start dealing with your, your right to protect yourself and your family, uh, it, 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 it makes, um, it crosses a multitude of political uh, ide ideologies at that point. So this one uh, that uh, I believe it was Representative Mesa uh, put in, uh, it, it it's an extreme change to, to the Castle Doctrine as it is currently based in Texas. And so it's garnered a, a lot more response just because it, it was taken a little bit more of a radical approach uh, to it. The, the argument being is it, it, uh, it, it encourages people to take, uh, you know, kind of take the law into their own hands. And if something would not be punishable by the death penalty by the government, then deadly force should not be uh, available as a defense mechanism is, is kind of the premise behind it. Well, uh, that's, you know, there's some logic there behind the argument, but I think in Texas, it's going to fall on very deaf ears 
and I do not anticipate a whole lot of uh, movement necessarily on, on this uh, particular bill. Marcio, your thoughts on, on any of these or some of these top issues that uh, Texans are following in terms of the legislature? Very interesting list. I'm going to have to yeah. find that website. <laughs> well, th- this one's from uh, the, from uh, Legiscan, which is an outside source. So okay. they're tracking it based on web views and engagement with the uh, 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 with the 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 website, you know, what's being looked up by people uh, out there in general, which is kind of, to me is interesting because it reflects on what, what actually is catching people's attention. Uh, And what does that tell us about the kind of political culture? Cause we know on the inside that some of these are uh, uh, either specific issues that a legislator is focused on, that his constituents are focused on, or some even that they know they're not going to get any traction, but they've got to go back to their constituents and say, Hey, look, I'm, I'm trying to do this and move this forward. I at least got it in the in, in the mix. So it's it's kind of an interesting way to look at it. But to me, I think it gives us insight into how the public is engaging with the legislature, which we know uh, that that inside that legislative process is a whole nother world at times. Yes. Right. OK. Yeah. Thanks for that information. Um, what I was thinking of as you were listing those different bills that people are looking at uh, just reminded me of that phrase abiding conservatism that is kind of reaches across the southern part of the United States and how within our political culture there is this preference for independence and limited government and to me I feel like the castle doctrine the secession firearms regulation the ones that you've you've listed pretty much kind of key into that, that preference for a space where government cannot get or maybe push back on government where it's there right now and to expand our freedoms. Uh, One of the things that it reminded me of is there are some constitutional amendments that have been proposed to prohibit the governor from taking away people's right to sell um, guns ammunition or liquor during a declared emergency or disaster. So I think, you know, that's kind of a piece with this as well. You know, let's just limit government in those forms. And I think it also brings to mind that we have a very complicated relationship with government here in the state because we we are conservative in general. Uh, By and large, the majority of people are um, and they elect representatives who will, you know, file these bills for them. And yet at the same time, we also want government to help us if something occurs like the terrible weather event that happened two weeks ago. So Governor Abbott declared a state of disaster so we could get federal, well, one reason to get federal government funds to come in to help us out. So are we, you know, with the secession being like number one or two on the list, Does that mean people are really thinking about giving up that funding and and going it on our own? I mean, it didn't work very well for our electricity system to be on our own. So it's very interesting. The the secession one is one that I'm always tracking because it's it's so interesting how it comes up in various times and in various contexts. And and of course, I think one of the things that shows on this, I don't know, Casey, if you, 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 you kind of see this or can help explain it as well, is that 
that sometimes the complexity of this, I mean, your, your legal background, you know how complex some of this can become, but it, it escapes a lot of people. Uh, I mean, they're just not as attuned to it, but it, there's keywords and there's things that kind of trigger uh, that response that's based on how they view government and the, and the role of government, not so much their, their knowledge of the issue. I, I, I don't think you probably ever encounter that in your government classes, right? That, that, <laughs> that your students are always responding based on their, their, their intimate and substantive knowledge of a particular policy issue. Uh, that, that's sometimes a challenge. Uh, most folks usually do respond, you know, from from uh, almost cultural background. And that is one of the things we have in Texas is we have that cultural identification of not only independence, but our ability to return to it. Uh, you know, uh, one kind of historical antidote right quick, you know, even Sam Houston. Uh, when uh, we were leaving the United States and joining the Confederate States, uh, he, he refused to participate. And then and unless, you know, it was passed by the voters. And then when the voters passed, uh, he tried to make the angle of, well, yeah, but that doesn't mean we're joining the Confederate States. It means we're back to an independent nation. Uh, and so, you know, this is this has been, you know, from our outset. Uh, but you know, it, it's really, it's just not there. I mean, there's court cases that go date back to the uh, civil war. Uh, you know, Texas versus white is the one that comes immediately to mind. That's the quintessential case, but then, you know, you can come to a more modern time and, and Scalia actually, uh, said once, I'm paraphrasing a little bit, uh, said that, you know, if there was any constitutional issue that was resolved by the civil war, it's that, there is no right to secede. <laughs> and so, yeah, and there's still not a right to secede. And so, you know, we have this bill from the representative out of Fredericksburg. Uh, it probably has less chance of movement uh, than the one modifying the castle doctrine. It, it's fun. It's, it's part of our culture. It's, it's, you know, uh, interesting to talk about. But in the legitimacy of the legal complexities that it takes to make something like this happen, it's not there legally. It's there with a war. And nobody really wants to go that far. We just like waving our flag. Well, when I, when I checked the committee list for the House of Representatives, I didn't notice that they had actually set up a committee on secession. So I, I don't know what the path of the bill like this would be uh, to go through uh, that process, that committee process. But um, anyway, we'll, we'll we'll see what happens with it. But I, I do want I think in, in kind of closing this out and looking at it, I'm, I'm amazed in, in Texas and I've lived in Texas almost all my life. Uh, I'm amazed at how what seems like the, the kind of structural issues of government in Texas, some of the, the challenges that we look at and how we govern ourselves and, and just the perennial issues that we see in the state, that they are not at the top of a list. They're not uh, being given the consideration. We always see this kind of pattern of the budget. Uh, and then there's a few kind of trigger key hot button issues here that people want to engage with, whether it's social issues like we've had same sex marriage and abortion and uh, or it's, you know, killing feral hogs from helicopters. I mean, you know, it's we've got these kind of signature issues that seem to come to the forefront. Uh, and when we walk away from these sessions, it's like, OK, well, we have a budget. But basically, what else was accomplished uh, in, in this process? Uh, I don't know if you're getting the feeling about this legislative session 
that it that it may be again all about the budget that that responding even in the midst of a crisis with elect, uh, electricity uh, providing that even in the pandemic in the end it's going to be a few kind of signature bills that people can hang their hats on to say look what we got done uh, for the people of Texas and they're going hey yeah well, that yeah that was critical to us uh, but then it then it's not anything substantive in terms of the structure. The, the way we do government and some of the challenges we're seeing. Um, Marcy, uh, your thoughts on that and that pattern and, and what, what do you, what do you see there? That's, do you see anything developing that might be more significant coming out of this legislative session? I don't actually, I agree with you. <laughs> I'm disappointed. I, I, I'm, I'm disappointed. I was hoping I had a ray of hope coming through the window here <laughs> that there might be something that we could, we could just latch onto and say, Hey, we're, <laughs> but you know what? There's always redistricting that's coming up. So <laughs> we can look forward to that. Yeah. 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 I'm sure everybody's out there. Yay. Hooray. We're going to look forward to redistricting. <laughs> <laughs> if I could jump on and add to that, I will tell you that uh, Lieutenant Governor uh, Patrick's uh, put out a, a list of the top 31 priorities. Uh, of course. And so, uh, the Senate bill number one was the budget, and then two was ERCOT, and three was uh, power grid, and then it goes to protecting the Star Spangled Banner and the heartbeat bill and social media and free speech. As I as I scan down through them, uh, Second Amendment issues uh, down there at eighteen and nineteen, and and I'm and I'm sorry to to tell you that Senate redistricting is uh, down at number 31 on his list of 30. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, I hate to end the show with disappointment uh, about the legislative session, but as we said, it's a pattern. We can hope for better uh, and we can hope for more engagement on the part of the people of the state. Uh, I want to thank you both for joining me today on politics and these roundtables are always uh, engaging and helpful to our listeners to think about these issues and more in depth and to hear your opinions and perspectives. So join us again here next week at noon on KTRL 90.5 FM. Thank you for joining us today for On Politics. podcast with production from me, Taylor Welch, and me, Carissa Cole. Find more great shows by searching Tarleton Radio Network wherever you get your podcasts.